Welcome to Tucumcari First Assembly's podcast. Now open your hearts to be changed by the Word of God. Guys, would you welcome my friend Jamie Montera today? Gonna be an awesome, awesome experience. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Y'all don't know this, but your pastor, that you know, in the in the, the the fruits of the spirit, there's things like the gifts. You know, you've got tongues and interpretation. You've got gifts of healing, uh, words of knowledge. Your pastor has fish whispering. I didn't even know it's such a thing, but this man, dear Lord, like it wasn't vacation. I looked. At, there was one time where him and another pastor, Pastor Jason and Pastor Mike, were down a ways, and I just said, "Is this heaven?" I just didn't want to leave, and uh, so thank you. Thank you for letting me borrow your, your dad and your husband, and man, I, I told him, I said, I will die for you from this moment on. I will, I will die for you, but uh, <laughs> I will say this. It's an honor to be with you, and uh, you know, I've been traveling for the last 24 years. I've I don't know if it's if it was a, an accomplishment, but they just recently sent me my 300 or my three million mile marker on, in the air. That just means I've wasted a lot of time floating. Uh, really, is what it is. I've just been caught between heaven and earth, <laughs> but I was no visions unless they, they it was a little bit shaky. Uh, but what I will say is this: I, I really I spent the night just just praying and saying, God, I was going to preach a totally different message. I had talked to Pastor Derek about and uh but i'm gonna preach a different message and it was funny when i walked in he's singing about david and i just went okay god you, you actually do know what you're doing and you don't need my help you you absolutely didn't need my advice my opinion or nothing i'm just gonna duck out of the way and just let you have your way so i want you to do me a favor would you stand up all over this place <clears throat> there's a thing that i started doing many years ago i came <clears throat> i came to a, a point in scripture where in Revelations, God is speaking to his church. And he's writing these letters to these churches. But there's a common thing. Even though the churches are in different places, they're going through different things. They're, they're in different spots in their relationships. And there's some correction needed. There's, some, there's some, some just encouragement needed. But there's one thing that the Spirit of the Lord says to every one of those churches. He who has eyes, let him see. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, I need you to understand the reason that that is important is because God's always doing something. Always doing something. If we can't see it, it's not because he's not doing it. It's because we're not looking. I don't know if you realize how many miracles took place this morning. Some people say, I've never seen a physical miracle. Well, just you seeing is 10,000 physical miracles. Ask science. Just you seeing. You should be seeing me upside down right now. That's, that's a physical miracle. But if we can't hear God, a lot of times it's because we're distracted by the noise of this world. And so what I want us to do just for the next little bit, I want us to just tune our ears into God. Because God's going to say something to every single one of you. There's some of you that need physical healings in your life. Can I tell you, you're looking at a miracle up here. August, August of 2021, um, I, I should have died. Uh, September 21, I went in to get lung x-rays, and they told me I had a 6-millimeter nodule in my right lung. Where it's placed, where it's size and the shape, they basically said I had 30 days to live. I, they told me I had stage, early uh, stage 4 or late stage four, uh, 3 lung cancer, and they give you 30 days. It's amazing what happens if you have 30 days to live. Yeah. Yeah. You really look at, man, I don't have time to waste. 
And I just have been living in that mentality. I don't have time to waste. I have kids to love. I have a purpose to live. And I've got a duty. And that's just to tell everybody I possibly can, as long as there's lungs in these breath, that God's got a plan for their life and he is going to use you in spite of you. You're looking at an ex-drug dealer. You're looking at an ex-drug addict. You're looking at somebody that God has restored his marriage before it was ever, was ever started. I mean, I was walking out on my bride, a drug addict, uh, 20, 27 years ago, and God radically restored it. We've just celebrated 28 years of marriage. Can I tell you, there's a big... There, please, please clap for her. <laughs> clap for her. <laughs> I just got to enjoy it. She's had to bear it, okay? But I say all this stuff because I want to talk to you real about God's plan for your life. But I want you to close your eyes and I want you to go to that place where decisions are made. I want you to go to that place where decisions are made. And I want you to pray a very dangerous prayer with me. And the reason it's dangerous is because it works. And some of you may not want to hear what God has to say. Some of you are going to be shocked by what God has to say and what God wants to show you. But if you're willing, I promise you he is. If, you would, if you're willing for you just to say, I want to hear you, God. God, would you speak directly to me today? Open up my eyes, let my ears hear. I want you to raise both hands towards heaven like you're going to reach for the top shelf. Some of you have been settling for what's in front of you. And some of you need to stretch towards what you didn't even know existed. With your hands raised, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, today is my day. Speak to me. And transform me by your word. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart and a mind that's ready, willing, and able to believe and receive every word that you would speak into my existence. I give you full permission and access to do what only you can do. But from this moment on, you have my attention. So have your way. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated. As you're being seated, look at the person next to you and say, don't even get in my way. If, if, if you're in the center seat, just, just go ahead and apologize in a few minutes to the people in front of you, the people on the side of you, because you're going to push them out of the way to run to the altars. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <clears throat> I will say this real quick. Thank you for what you're about to do to youth camps and getting kids to youth camps. I've preached this summer. I've preached 225 of our Assembly of God camps all over this nation. That's that's a lot of corn dogs. And and I'm Italian, so I won't even call it spaghetti. Um, But I will say this. I've seen hundreds of thousands of teenagers radically changed at youth camp. There is no place on the face of the earth that is empowering, reaching, and transforming lives. So I want to say, buy a lunch and go give it to your neighbors. I don't care what you have to do, but make sure we get as many kids there because it's going to change their lives. Prayerfully, that it may be the person that someday you may be listening to preach. A son, a daughter, a grand. I'm the product of a praying mom, so I know those mama's prayers works. Amen? I want you to turn in your Bible to two different scriptures. <clears throat> I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And then we're going to read in 1 Samuel chapter 16. One of the th- biggest things that I've seen is 
we disqualify ourselves by the decisions we've made thinking that there's no way that God can possibly use us. And Pastor Derek and I were talking yesterday, and I just, I, I, I come in to serve the pastor. I don't have a, a, a preset agenda. There's, there's not a, I'm going to preach this no matter what. I want to make sure that I'm going to help hold the hands of the pastor and the leadership of the church, but I also want to make sure that I just speak. Because let me explain something. You can take any scripture and preach anything out of it as long as the Spirit of God's behind it. You can preach salvation out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. You can preach anything. I, we had a school ministry. I, one of the things I would do is I was trying to teach my students how to preach. I'd hold up a pencil and say, you got five minutes to write a sermon, three-point sermon on salvation with one New Testament scripture, one Old Testament, uh, one Old Testament uh, scripture on the racer. And they would preach these messages. But here's what I want to talk to you this morning about. We were talking yesterday, and he's been, he was telling me about how that he's been talking on the subject or the series or the topic of more. And that is so big. There's more of God. I don't care. There's angels that are flying around the throne room of God that just got introduced to a new aspect of who God is. That, that no matter how long we serve him, there's always going to be more. That's the greatness of it. There's more of his mercy. There's more of his love. There's more of his, of, of his power. There's more of his, thir- of, his, of his authority. There's more. I mean, go into the streets and talk to people. You'll see aspects of God. But I want to talk to you about how God wants more from you. We want more from God. It's easy to say, God, I want more. I want more. I want more power. I want more forgiveness. I want more grace. But I really do believe that God's saying, I want more because I can't release more until I have more. See, we preach messages where people come to the altar and they get saved. I preach messages that get people to the altar to surrender. Because let me explain something. You can save something over and over and over and over and it never be yours. Jesus didn't die to borrow your life. He died to have your life so that he could give you his. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, it says this. It says, take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. Now, maybe you're in this room and, and, and you're not quite sure. You just kind of stumbled into church. You got invited. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God. But let's talk about this, this God lifestyle for you for a moment. Remember who you were. Before you got called into this life. Beloved, can I just talk for just a moment on that? Do you remember what it's like to be lost? Do you remember what it was like to not know Jesus? Do you remember the depth of sin? Do you remember the depth of depression? The depth of sorrow? The depth of regret? One of the things when I ran to the altar, I said, God, don't ever let me feel or forget what it was like to feel this way. Because I don't ever want to go back. We're all one decision away from going back to who we used to be. So I don't want to forget who I used to be. I don't want to forget why I first came to him. I don't ever want to forget the desperation that I felt. That I needed him to do something not only in me. I need The day I got saved, beloved, I literally was telling RJ about this earlier. I gave my life to Jesus 30 minutes later at the exact same altar. I just gave my life to Jesus. I grabbed my brother-in-law who was the pastor who married us. And we renewed our vows. Because I said she got ripped off. She married the wrong man. 
as God is my witness. We renewed our vows at the very altar I just gave my life to Jesus on. Because I was starting over. Like, this is all over. I'm not keeping anything of the old. See, there were three crosses. Listen to me for a minute. There were three crosses on the day that Jesus died. Now, they say that Jesus was in the center cross. But picture this for a moment. There were two other crosses. Who were on those other crosses? Thieves. That's all we know that them Criminals and thieves. A lot of people will say that they knelt at the cross and gave their life. If your life looks like or resembles anything like it did in the past, you knelt at the wrong cross and you got ripped off. Because everything changes. It changes the way you act. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you respond. It changes everything. Now, we are all a work in progress. And that's what I want to speak to today. But we can't forget who we were before. Because let me explain. If we'll forget who we were before, then we'll overlook the people who are those people now and where they're at. The greatest, the greatest plan and strategy that God ever did was sending his son into the world to die for us. Part of that strategy and plan is the redeemed that have been saved because of Jesus and have surrendered their life are then to go out and tell the story of who they used to be and how God radically changed them. It says, take a good look, friends, at who you were before you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and best. Among you, not many influential. Not many of high society families. It, isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that culture overlooks and exploits and abuses and chose those nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies? That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking, right living, a clean slate and a fresh start comes from God by the way of Jesus Christ. So let's just say we were all messed up. Right? If Shelly was here, she'd say, well, some are a little messed up more. <laughs> but the reality of that is, is we are, we are indebted to Jesus. That's why when people, when I worship, I, 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 I can't sit still. I'm just going to be honest. I can't sit still during worship. I can sit still and be in, in nice in a conversation. But when, when the name of Jesus starts getting mentioned, I start thinking about, wait a second. I got to talk to somebody. I got to tell God, I got to, I can't keep it inside. How it's like, it's like I'm boiling over. God, you are so good. Why? Because I remember I wouldn't have saved me. I wouldn't have chosen me. I wouldn't have picked me, but he did. I tried to destroy me, but he found me in this salvage yard. He recycled me and made me new. And then he said, go find some other people that are just like you. You can find those people anywhere. And I don't look at them as screwed up. I look at them as, man, God's got some potential in their life. So flip with me to 1 Samuel. I love that part where it says, isn't it funny? Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? You ever read the scriptures? Did you ever read who God used? Let's talk about one of them. His name was David. David is a 17-year-old kid. He's abused it on every aspect of the word. Now, I've done a deep dive on David, and, and I don't know if you know this or not, but let me just kind of help you understand. Is this being recorded like video? 
is there a certain place? Okay, I just didn't want to. I'm a walker and a talker. I'll probably end up in the back row, have some coffee while preaching. So just say, listen, the worst thing they can ever say is make yourself at home. I'm like, okay, I kick my shoes off. I'm like, here we go. Reality of it is, is let's talk David. You ever heard how David killed a bear and a, a lion? Well, it's like, man, they're in Israel. Like, I didn't know they were in Africa. Like, this, it doesn't seem like the wild kingdom. Did you know that there was one particular area that was known for their wild animals, and it was extremely dangerous? And David's father sent David as a shepherd into that area. When there were other fields that were safer, other fields that had better grass, that had that better water. But David's father, it, there's a lot of presumptions on why David's father and him had such a break. But you can see clearly and really see that there was a major dysfunction going on in this family. And David was put in place that would constantly, he would have to fight for his life. He always had to protect. And what was crazy is he was not just fighting to protect himself from the bear and the lion, but he had this compassion inside of him that he learned how to fight for those that couldn't fight for themselves. And he didn't have a lot of tools. He didn't have a lot of people. He learned how to pick up a, a rock and, 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 and fling it. And so here's this David, and he's in this field, and, and, and the children of Israel kind of are in this, in this point themselves. They're looking for a leader, and they, they beg God, give us a leader. We, we know that you're the leader, but we want somebody we can see. We want somebody that we can touch. We want somebody that we can talk to. We want somebody that we can hear. We don't want to go through the prophet. We don't want to go through the word. We want, we want our own king. Give us a king. And so God gave them exactly what they wanted. Beloved, let me say it this way. Be careful because you can end up getting what you think you really want. And it could be the very thing that helps destroy you. Some of you need to be grateful that you haven't got what you wanted. So this king by the name of Saul rises up. He's tall. He's good looking. He's a leader. But he's filled with pride. He refuses to do what God's telling him to do. He's going to do his own thing. He has bitterness in his soul. He's rage. He's a murderer. He's in it for himself. And God says to Samuel, I have found myself a leader. I have found myself a king. He said, go to the house of Jesse, for one of his sons is going to be anointed as king. So I don't know if, if there's Samuel. He clicks on Snapchat. Hey, hey, I'm coming to your house. I don't know if there were smoke signals, Twitter. I don't know if there was a DM. I don't know if it was Pony Express. I don't know how they relayed message, emailed them. But somehow Samuel sent word to Jesse, out of your house, one of your sons, God's picked as a king. So I need you to gather, get a party together, get all your sons in the house. Because we don't know which one, but get all your sons in the house because I'm coming to anoint your son, one of your sons as king. So Jesse gathers his sons. And brings them into the house. Let's begin to read. 1 Samuel chapter 16 verses 6 through 13. And it says when they arrived. Now notice this. Samuel is God's man. He's the prophet. It says when they arrived Samuel saw Eliab. Eliab was Jesse's firstborn son. His oldest son. 
He says, when Samuel saw Eliab, he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Now, that, I need to stop here for a moment. It says, all Samuel did, he wouldn't have a conversation with somebody. He says, he thought to himself, surely that's got to be the guy. And God read his thoughts. And said, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking for the wrong thing. If you remember, right, the last guy, and you love him, his name's Saul. He, was, he had height and he had good looks, but he had no heart. And I'm not looking for those things. Watch how he goes on. He says, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the... Then Jesse had Abinadab his second oldest son, and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse had Shammah, the third oldest son, pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? There is still the Catan. That's the actual word. In your, in your translation, you may see the youngest. That's not the word he used. He used in the original translation, there's still the katan. And it can be defined as youngest. But that's not how they used it. It was a very, it was a very defining word. Katan meant insufficient, insignificant, incapable. One. The reason he's not here, because I don't see anything in him. He's bankrupted of any opportunity and leadership. He is a shepherd boy. He's the youngest. He's the smallest. He's the weakest. He's the puniest. There's nothing inside of him that is leadership quality. So I left him in the field because there's no way that God could possibly use him. There's still the Catan. Jesse answered. But he's tending the sheep. He's busy. Samuel said, send for him, for we will not sit down. I don't know if you understand that. Basically, he put an urgency on it, and he disrespected Jesse in front of his family. Jesse said, we will not sit down. Meaning, you're going to be standing when your son walks in because he's the king. I want you to see this part. It says, so they sent for him and brought him in, and he was ruddy and with fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took, notice this part, took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Father, I simply ask that you would lend me, lend me your voice for the next few moments. They don't need my opinion. They definitely don't need my advice, but what they need is a word from you. So let me be nothing more than a microphone that you speak through. Hide me behind the cross. Make me invisible. And God, have your way from this moment on. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Amen. Out of eight brothers, David was the youngest, the katan, the small, insufficient, insignificant one. He was pick, never picked to lead or expected to make a difference. He was a kid, not a king. He led sheep, not people. He was left in the field, almost forgotten about, neglected, rejected, and overlooked. All of his brothers passed before Samuel, starting with the oldest and the best option. 
And each and, the, uh, 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 each and every one of the seven brothers passed by, but they did not possess what God was looking for. God was not looking for a hero. He was looking for a heart. Now you have to understand this. Even God's man, Samuel, is impressed with Eliab. But you need to understand, talent will take you only so far, but a heart is what is needed in order to use, be used greatly by God. God looked past their abilities and was looking for someone that he could trust with an assignment. What a lot of people don't understand, when I began to do this deep dive study creed, I began to find out qualities and natures and characters and talents and giftings and abilities that the brothers possessed. Each of them were very different. Eliab was a four-star general for the Israeli army. He was a four-star general. Now, when I say that, there weren't many of them. There was probably one, if not two. And literally, probably 1.3 million men were willing to die for this man. He ran the strength of Israel's army. He was strong. When he walked in a room, people stood at attention. At this man's word, many, many tens of thousands of people would die. He didn't need to, to, to coerce with the king. He made his own decisions. He ran Israel basically already. And he's standing in the room and he's decorated. He looks strong. He represents man's strength. And Samuel looks and he says, surely that's got to be the leader. That's surely got to be the next king. Look at how people, he, look at how he's already a leader. He's natural. He was born into this. And God says no. God rejects man's strength and says, I don't need it. I don't need what man is able to do. I'm looking for somebody that I can trust, somebody that will lean into me, somebody that's not going to try to figure it out on their own and find a better way, but somebody that will say, God, what is your plan? What is your purpose? And so they reject him. Now, Derek... We all probably know people that have never been rejected in their life. They're just natural born leaders. Can you imagine Samuel saying, you're not the one? And Eliab going, do you know who I am? I could have you killed at this very moment. You, 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 you got to be kidding me. I am the strength of Israel. And Samuel rejects him. He's over there going, wait a second. God doesn't know what he's doing. God needs me. So they bring in Abinadab. What you don't understand is Abinadab was a three-star general. But he was not known for his strength, even though he was very strong, even though he was very combative, ready. He was probably a Navy SEAL Team 6 type personality. He was very strong physically, but that wasn't his ability. His ability was wisdom. Abinadab would train spies for the Israeli army how to speak different languages. It was said that Abinadab could speak any language spoken on the earth at that time. With fluently, fluently and with understanding. And what he would do is he would train up the spies. The spies would go into the enemy's camp, listen to the plans, and then bring back the ideas and the concepts and the conversations to the Israelites. Then they would speak, and then he would walk into Eliab's office and say basically, hey, listen, this is what they got planned. This is what we got to do. So he was a strategist, but he was brilliant. He had doctorate degrees. He was wisdom. And if God doesn't need our strength, surely God needs our wisdom. Another man that has never been rejected a moment in his life comes natural to him. 
And God says to Samuel, he's not the one either. And so Samuel says, not this one. Can you imagine those two type of personalities standing in the corner, Eliab and Abinadab going, this is a joke. This is true. He has no idea. And then it says, Jesse had Shammah. And Shammah probably skipped. I'm going to be honest. He probably floated over there. He was probably what they say, the best looking man on the face of the earth at that moment. He represented talent. It is said that Shammah taught David how to play the harp. He could play anything. He was talented. He, he was strong. He was able to battle. He was wise. He could speak all these languages. He could play any instrument. He was good in sports. He just The girls were in love with him. His hair looked pretty. And isn't it funny? If God doesn't need our strength, then surely that God needs our wisdom. But if God doesn't need our wisdom and he doesn't need our strength, then surely he needs our abilities. He needs our talents. He needs our giftings. And it says God rejected him. Three men that have never been rejected in their life because they didn't possess what God was looking for. Yes, they had ability. Yes, they had wisdom. Yes, they had talent. Yes, they had strength. But they didn't have a heart. So God rejects them. What I love about this is we don't even know the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh son's names. Just like, hey, number four, come here. Number six. Surely it's got to be number seven. And God says, none of these. I know who it is. He's just hidden right now. Why am I saying that? Because some of you are still hidden in the fields of your faithfulness. Some of you are still hidden, being overlooked and abused and mistreated and abandoned and neglected. And you're thinking that God hates you because it feels like your prayers are hitting the ceiling and falling to the floor. You're feeling like, well, God, I've been praying for this. I need a breakthrough. I need a miracle. Why haven't you fixed this? And you feel forgotten about. But God still sees you when man has abandoned you. And it says that Samuel says, is there not? Another son, is the, are these all that you have? And they said, he's still the Kenton. Can you imagine Samuel going, wait a second, do you understand that you're calling your next king insufficient, insignificant? Isn't it funny, though? They said the same things about Jesus. This can't be him. They bring him in. But here's the real miracle of David. He's 17. I've been 17 before. You've been 17, you're old man. Kind of cocky. A little bit arrogant. Somebody hurt you. David's in the field that his father has sent him to die. And he's watching some, some sheep creed. And a servant of his father's house says, your dad you don't think David knew that he had been not invited or uninvited to the ceremony that one of the sons of Jesse is going to be anointed as king? You don't think he had the thought like, wait a second, which it's probably Eliab. If it's not Eliab, it's surely got to be Abinadab or Shammah, definitely. But I didn't even get invited. Did, did, like, what about me? I could have been king. But here's the here's the. The truth of what's exposed in David. His father calls for him. And he still comes. 
Because he didn't live by this. He lived by this. And yeah, you could offend this, but this would be forgotten. This he never, he kept pure. He kept, he kept soft. He didn't allow the things that people had done to hurt him to become scar tissue. And his heart didn't become hard. That's why God says he, he's a man after my own heart. And, and so David walks in. He's just full of obedience. He probably didn't want to go, but he's still faithful to a dad that is not faithful to him. He walks in the room and it says that everybody's standing. And then Samuel says, it, it, the Lord says, arise and anoint him. And, and Samuel has this horn of oil. Why is that so important? Because King Saul was anointed with oil, but he was anointed with oil that was found in a flask. A flask is man-made because man wanted a king and God gave them exactly what they wanted and he said, no, but I chose myself a king and this is a man after my own heart. And see, Saul's anointing was man-given and man-made, but David's anointing was God-given and God-made. It, it came out of a horn, not out of a, out of a flask. What does that mean? Can I tell you when God anoints you and God it's with God's anointing man can't take it away it can't be canceled it can't be stopped it can't be overlooked God's anointing it, it was on you before you were ever born and it'll be on you after you die can I tell you something that God has handpicked some of you God's handpicked all of you for a certain reason and a, for a certain topic and for such a time as this but you have to get under the anointing and it gets messy. They didn't just give you a little dabble, do you? This was an oil change and a slick job, and a grease job all at once. Six quarts of oil dumped over him in the presence of his brother. I wonder what Eliab was thinking when he saw the Catan getting anointed. That will never be my king. I will never follow him. I will. He knows nothing about war. He knows nothing about Shama going, I'm the one who taught him how to be a worshiper. And he gets anointed, and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. But here's the crazy part. And I'm going to give you three quick points. Number one, you ready for this? Number one, write this down. God's not looking for someone that looks the part. God's looking for somebody that will do their part. Very simple. Somebody that will just... Be them filled with God. David wasn't trying to be Eliab. David wasn't trying to be Shama. David wasn't trying to be Jesse. David was just being David. See, Eliab looked like a king, but God rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, and the Lord looks at the heart. This was not a talent show, a fashion show, a strength competition, but instead it was a heart examination. And David was not looking for an opportunity to be noticed. He was just, just serving faithfully. And I've found out God opportunities are open by the key of our faithfulness. And God sees your faithfulness when no one else does. See, David gets anointed as king. But what happens after he gets anointed as king? Anybody know what happened? Where do kings go after they're anointed as kings? To the throne. Where did David go? Back to the field. This is where a lot of us, and you need to hear my word on this. This is where a lot of us struggle. And here's why. Yes, you'll have an encounter with God. Yes, you'll be anointed. Yes, you'll be changed. 
but you need to learn how to be faithful in the field that you were found with the anointing oil dripping off of you. Because let me explain something. If you won't be faithful anointed in a field, you'll never never be faithful anointed on a throne. And some of you have been asking God, why aren't my situations and circumstances changing? And the reason being is because are you being faithful where you are? God wants to see miracles where you are, not just where you'll be. God can do all of that. But the problem is, is we won't do our part. God's looking for partnership. He's not looking for servants. He's not looking for slaves. He's looking for sons and daughters that will just learn how to obey him and be faithful to him and be obsessed with it. See, obedience must become our obsession, not our option. So David goes back to the field. Grease still in his ear. Sheep licking him. Greasy. Can you imagine a greasy 17-year-old kid in a dust field? Now, I know he's 17 years old. Let's be real. He's going, I'm king. I'm king. And he's probably got a staff and he's like, I am the king. (laughs) Bow before me, humble servants. I am the king. Right? Let's be, he's a kid still. And he's just learning how to live it out. And he's just walking among sheep and they don't care. Isn't it funny that you have a move of God in your life and something supernatural happens and other people just don't care? Go back to work. Wake up. Go to bed. You're still who you are. You just are greasy now. And David's in the field. And immediately after this moment, there's a war that breaks out with the Philistines and the Israeli army. And they go to war. And the Philistines are on one side of the mountain. And then there's this valley. And then the Israelites are on the other side of the valley. And it says this. For 40 days and 40 nights, the the children of Israel, the Israeli army, would bang their swords and their spears against their shields. And they would make a battle line every day. It says for 40 days and 40 nights, they would draw a battle line. And they would stand at that battle line. And they would scream at the Philistines. And they're, they're screaming, today we will kill you. Today we will destroy you. Today we will defeat you. And I think the, the Philistines were like kind of sitting back drinking their coffee. Not even standing, just kind of. And they're like, hey, Goliath. And Goliath would step out of his tent. And his nickname was the shock warrior. The reason being is it said that it caused people's hearts to fail them. And he would stand up and he would just kind of stretch a little bit. And he would walk towards that battle line. And as soon as they saw Goliath, the, the army... Israeli army would go and hide in their tents. This wasn't just once. It says for 40 days and 40 nights. Go and read it. 40 days and 40 nights they would do this. And they would hide in their tents. And no offense, women. But they said, is there not a man amongst you? Now let me explain. If there was a woman in the group, she would say, excuse me, what did you just call me? Get in that tent and wash those dishes. She would have, she would have whooped him. There was a bunch of men, a bunch of cowards. And he said, is there not a man amongst you that would come and fight me? And he'd throw his spears down. He'd say, I'll, I'll, I'll fight you blindfolded. I'll fight you with my hands tied. I'll, come on, just bring somebody. And 
40 days and 40 nights. That's 80 times that they did this. And David's in the field faithfully serving. And here comes his dad and he says, David, I need you to do me a favor. Your brothers, the warriors, I know you're king now. But your older brothers, the leaders of this family, are at war. And my Fox News, I don't know what's going on with the news station. It's just down. I can't get news. So I need you to take these cheese and crackers to go and feed the real men of this family. And I need you to bring back report on how your brothers are doing. Again, 17-year-old anointed kid. What would you have done if your dad that left you in the field has time and time again rejected you, now your king comes and tells you to deliver groceries. I know what I'd have done. I'd have said, sir, you need to deliver your own groceries. And don't you ever refer to me as David again. You call me your honor. (laughs) Or your highness. I know that Jamie would have come out. But David had a heart. And even though he probably didn't want to, he grabs that groceries. He said, Dad, yes, sir, I'll go. And he goes faithfully into that, towards that battle line. And as he's drawing close to the battle line, he can hear the sound of war. Well, what does every 17-year-old kid hear when he thinks there's a fight? It's time to watch. He takes the groceries to the storehouse. He drops them off. And then he runs to the battle thinking that he's going to see a battle. And instead of seeing a battle, he sees one massive giant man and all of his brothers hiding in their tents. And David's just kind of standing in the open field going, what are y'all doing? And he's overhearing this man saying, is there not a man amongst you? And he's looking. He's like, who's he talking to? Eliab, you going to let him talk to you like that? David, get in this tent, son. David, listen, I know you're king, but I'm not going to take you home. I'm not going to have to explain why this guy whooped your tail. Get over here. And something happened. We all know David fought Goliath. But does anybody know why? Why did David face Goliath? God, it was a God thing then. Nope, not at all. Sometimes sometimes spiritual things are hidden by physical things. David is found asking three times, what will the man get for killing him? What's the reward? Go back and read it. Three times he asked, what will the reward be for the man that kills him? And they said, you know, his King Saul's fine daughter, Michael, the one that's in my tent, the, the poster. Michael? Yes. King Saul will give you her as your wife. She's going to be my wife. But that's not all, King. King Saul will give you up to half his kingdom. He'll make you a very rich man. I get his daughter and his money. Are you kidding? That's not all, David. Your entire father's house will be tax exempt. Wait a second. I'm going to double tax that fool when I get into office. (laughs) I'm going to 70 cent per sheep stamp. You ever heard something that was so good you didn't believe it the first time you had to hear it again? 
David says, wait a second, tell me that again. They said, you'll, you'll get King Saul's daughter as your wife. You'll get a big portion of money, and your father's house will be tax exempt. And he's in the middle of saying, wait a second, say it one more time for the people in the way back. I just need to hear it one more time. And all of a sudden, guess who showed up? Strength. And it says, Eliab walks up, and he says, where are the sheep? I know that that, that old fool said that God picked you as king, but let me explain something. You are a 17-year-old kid that I am fully responsible for, and I'm not dragging your body home explaining to mom and dad why you died because you were playing in the wrong pen. I need you to go home to those sheep. I need you to realize that you are not the king, that this is not your calling, this is not your ability. You don't have the strength, you don't have the wisdom, you don't have the talent, David. You just have a little bit of oil still left on you. So go back home and something began to raise up inside of David. That heart started beating a little bit harder and a little bit faster. And he said, is there not a reason? Is there not a cause? Is there not a reward? See, listen, you have strength, you have wisdom, you have talent, and it's hiding doing nothing with it all I, you don't have is you don't have a heart and God picked me because I have what you're missing and I may not do it your way I may not do it the way you want me to do it but let me explain something I'm at least willing to do it and he said I'll kill that giant because I know that what God's done for me see the first point is this God's not looking for someone to look the part but to do their part. Number two is God's not looking for someone to just make noise but to make a difference. See, the, they made noise for 40 days and 40 nights, but nothing was done. There's been people that have said, we're going to defeat this, and we're going to destroy this, and we're going to stand for this. But all it is is noise. But I believe that there is a generation arising, and a generation is not meaning younger. A generation, according to Scripture, it says this, a generation is defined by those who are living and breathing. Anyone that's alive is a part of this generation. And we've heard about the things that God wants to do in America we've heard about the things that God wants to do in his church we've heard the plans that God has according to Jeremiah plans to prosper us and not to harm us plans to give us a future and a hope but can I tell you we are done hearing about it and it's time to begin to raise up and actually see these things come to pass I'm done with the noise, church. Noise doesn't change cities. Noise doesn't change governments. Noise doesn't change a life. But somebody that stands up and says, I don't care how loud I have to be or silent I have to be, I'm going to do something. Says that they, I'm going to make a difference. See, Goliath intimidation steps out and men went running. David hears the people talking about a reward for the man that will kill the giant but see his older brother gets angry and tries to bring him back to earth you're just a kid you're there's nothing you can do go home but when the seed of cause finds the soil of belief to be planted in fruit of purpose will grow David would not be denied this reward is there not a cause to fight, a reason to go, a reward to get? Everyone else is just talking about it, but I'm done talking, and I'm ready to do something about this problem. I know what I've seen God do for me, and this is no different. It was in the field of preparation that equipped him for this assignment. The very things that at one time were he thought were meant to destroy him were the very things that were created to strengthen him. If he would have never been in a field having to fight a bear and a, giant, a, bear and a lion... 
he would have never had the guts or the know-how to fight a giant. But I want you to take a special note. David never turned his hostility or his focus on his brother. Just because people don't believe in you. Just because people don't see what God sees when he sees you. Does not make them the enemy. No house divided against itself will ever stand. We got to remember that we, our battle is not against flesh and blood. People are going to hurt you. Can I just be honest with you? Can I just give you a revelation? People are going to hurt. But let me give you a quick rule. Mark chapter 2, do you remember the four men that are coming to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus? And they get to the house and they can't get to Jesus because of the people. So they climb up on the roof. Let me give you a quick rule of thumb. People will always get in your way if you let them. Sometimes you've got to just forgive and move on. You don't have to understand you don't need their apology. If you're waiting for an apology to get free, I love what my dear friend Jeannie Mayo used to say. She used to say, when we have unforgiveness or bitterness towards other people, it's like us drinking poison and expecting them to get sick. Just let it go. Because they're the ones, they don't even know that they're controlling you. You're not, they're not missing food. They're not, they're not missing sleep, but you are. So just Forgive. And move on and realize who, who the real enemy is. So David goes and he says, I'm going to fight this giant. So point number three is this. Number one is God's not looking for someone to look the part, but to do their part. Number two is God is not looking for someone to just make noise, but to make a difference. But number three is God is not looking for what we can do for him, but instead allow him to do through us. God's looking for partnership. God is not looking for someone to try to do something great, but instead is looking for someone who is willing to be faithful and willing to do anything in obedience. David stood that day and went from a kid to a king because of his willingness to step out and do what others were not willing to do. So let me ask you a question. What's standing in front of you that everybody else has been running from? What's, you, may not be, you may not have a... You may not have a giant in front of you, but you have a David inside of you. And here's, David stood up. Now let me give you a little bit of thing. I'm going to bring this to a close quickly. King Saul hears that David's going to go fight Goliath. And he brings him into his tent. Does anybody remember what King Saul did at that moment? He put his armor on him. He offered his armor. Man, what a kind dress gesture. Seems kind, doesn't it? But what was King Saul known for? Pride. So you got to know the hidden motive. Number one, he probably caught word that King that David had been anointed by King in secret. So now this is his competition. But even if he didn't know this, think about this. If this kid goes out and defeats Goliath, who does he look like? Saul. So who gets the credit? Because the people are standing afar off and they see King Saul's armor walking out to battle and he destroys this giant. Who gets the credit? But even if they find out it was David, it looks like an act of compassion. So who still gets credit? Trying to protect him. 
And what does David do? This don't fit. I can't do it your way. I have wrestled this with my whole entire, you talk about God pulling me out of a drug addiction, been selling drugs since I was 11 years old. I grew up in the church, but I was dealing to people in the church. You have to understand, I came from a very rich family. Very rich family, not from drugs. They owned an electrical business. Very, one of the top neighborhoods in our city. You had money, you didn't need God. You went to church two times as an Italian, Christmas and Easter. And they would talk about all these things that God would do. And I look up and on a cross and I'm like, I can't feel God. I can feel drugs. I can feel alcohol. I feel depression. So I walked into church and all of a sudden they're like, you got to act like this. You got to talk like this. You got to wear a suit on Sunday. And I'm like, do you understand who I am? Do you understand what he pulled me from? And do you understand that if I become like you, I will never be able to reach the people that were like me. And I've got a job to do, and I don't know how to fight. I've never been trained in a sword. I don't know how to wear armor, but I do know how to fling a stone. And if this armor's too heavy, I can't throw my arm. So I need to get off of me what's been controlling you. And he goes to this, he goes, I just need some stones. He goes down to the little creek, and he grabs five stones. Anybody know why he grabbed five stones? Did he think he was going to miss four times? Goliath had three brothers and one cousin. There were five giants that were, tor- that were torrents. And David had a mentality, we're, we're going to do this. We're doing it all. Great thing about it is David didn't have to kill five, five giants. God surrounded him with men. Thank you for being my friend. I'll kill giants for you, buddy, and your family. God surrounded him. Even at times where they had to fight against him. And be confidants, not just companions and comrades. But watch this for a moment. I'm done right here. Can you imagine Eliab and Shammah and Abinadab standing there going, what is this kid doing? As he stands, 17-year-old kid with a slingshot in front of a giant. And Goliath says, what am I, a dog? Did we come to play fetch? And David says, you come to me in strength. You come to me in wisdom. You come to me in talent, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And to this day, I will feed your flesh to the birds of the air. And Goliath got ticked off, and he's running towards him. And David starts flinging. He's running, and he's swinging this rock, and he lets it go. Somewhere between David putting that rock into that sling, God grabbed a hold of it. And he drove it into the hand of Goliath, or the head of Goliath. Can you imagine? Here is this giant of a man and this rock. And Goliath just sitting there, stunned. The Philistines going and he falls. And all of a sudden, David runs and grabs this sword. It's so big. It's so heavy. He picks it up. He doesn't swing it. He just drops it. 
cuts off the head of Goliath and lifts it up. And here's Eliab and, and, and Shama and Abinadab that were screaming, that's not no king. He's just a kid. All of a sudden said, that's the king. That's not my brother. That's the king. And they said, charge. And they went and overthrew the Philistines. Why? Because somebody was willing to make a difference. Somebody was willing to do their part. Somebody partnered with God and said, God, I don't care of all the mistakes I made. I don't care of all the wrong I've done. God, if, if you can use me, then use me. Because me plus God equals something great. See, what you don't understand, there's more. Two weeks ago, I stood in Great Bend, Kansas. If you don't know where Great Bend, Kansas is, welcome to 99% of America. And most Amazon drivers. It's rural Kansas. God began to break out in a church that ran about 200. 600 people every night. People from Arkansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma coming in. Two young ladies that were in an alternative lifestyle. One of them starts screaming. Right in the middle of me preaching, starts screaming. How can I repent for things I don't even know about? I said, that's a problem. You're trying to figure out the things that you want forgiven of instead of just saying, God, here's my life. I give it all of you. It's all to you. She said, but what about repenting for the things that I, I don't want to let go? And I'm talking to her, but I'm looking at this young man who's tattooed all over his face right here. And he's just tears in his eye. I said, here's the thing. You keep on trying to figure out how to do this on your own. I said, stop holding back things that you think you can't, that God can't change. I said, just surrender your life. Gave the altar call. This kid, tears run down his face, runs to the altar. There's probably about 70 people that come to the altar for salvation. This kid runs down to the altar, praying. I go to put my hand on him, and it says MS-13 tattooed on his head. I don't know if you know that. That's one of the most deadly gangs in the world. They're out of El Salvador, out of Central America. They're coming in here. They, they don't, they'll kill you before they look at you. Praying for him, I said, bro, are you MS-13? He said, yes, sir. He has this accent. He said, I'll die because I did this to you. They'll kill me. And they'll kill my family. And I said, stop trying to you're not fighting this on your own anymore you've got somebody bigger and stronger that can work where no one can work he can work in dreams he can work in conversations he can work in hearts I said don't try to tell him what you're not going to do start telling him about what God is doing why am I saying that because it's hard to be faithful and some of you, the hardest thing that you will ever do is just be faithful and obedient to what God is asking you to do because it doesn't make sense. You don't see the finished product. You see what is now. And it's hard. It's hard to be faithful. Ask a preacher. But watch what happens when you're faithful. David had an anointing on his life. It was given to him before he was born. And it was the anointing to deliver. See, the calling doesn't change, even though the mission does. And he's in a field being faithful 
to a father that's not. Aren't you glad that David didn't repay evil for evil? Aren't you glad God didn't repay evil for evil? Aren't you glad that he's faithful to us even though we're not faithful to him? And David grabs those groceries and he's delivering groceries. The calling is to deliver. The mission is groceries. But it puts him in position for the mission to change. But because of his faithfulness, he went from delivering groceries to delivering a nation. All because of his willingness and obedience and faithfulness. Who's counting on you to grab some cheese and crackers and just do the little things right? Maybe the very ones that we've been praying for, hoping for, believing for, just need us to be faithful. That's it. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to stand up with me. I want you to just, just, come on, 30 seconds. I'm not going to be the voice of God for these next 30 seconds. Just listen. asking you to do? What's God asking you to do right now? See, you're just seeing the mission. You're not seeing what you were born to do, and that's be faithful. And I'll be obedient. But how are we going to deliver nations? How are we going to reach the lost? How are we going to feed the hungry? Heal the sick. How are we going to do any of that if we can't even surrender our lives to Jesus? And I mean surrender our lives to Jesus. Not give him the things that you don't need and keep the things that you think you need, but surrendering it all to Jesus. If you can't be faithful or obedient with the little things, how are you going to be faithful and obedient with the big things? No more waiting for the perfect time. No more waiting for everybody else to do it. With your eyes closed all over this place, it's going to get real real quick. And I'm not having your eyes closed so that other people can't see what you're doing. This is so that every person in this room is looking inside at their heart. And looking at their situation and their circumstances. And where they are with God. And not being distracted. I want to ask you a question, beloved. Have you done your part to surrender everything in your life to Jesus? Because Jesus has already done his. Have you given Jesus more than your sin, your sicknesses, and your shame? Have you given him more than your guilt and your regret? Have you given him your life? Have you given him your hopes and your dreams? Because he wants all of you. He wants more. You want more? so does he because what's holding back his more is your more and God can't release what's in his hands until you release what's in yours thank you for listening with us today you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash or join us for service Sundays at 9 or 11 a.m.